because dad, whenever he would, you know, get upset with me or, you know, if he was drinking, his anger would be more intense and he would shut me out. He would be very silent and he would isolate himself. I know now that he didn't isolate because he didn't love me. He isolated because he was embarrassed, you know, he was ashamed. But at the time I thought, okay, well, he doesn't love me anymore because he's quiet. And then later on that equated the same thing with God. Hey everyone, it's Mary DeMuth and this is the Restory Show. And today I have Kimberly Dewberry on with me. Kimberly, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me, Mary. And I'm just excited that you have a book coming out called Three Weeks to Forgiveness. That is uh, releasing, and by the time this is aired, it will have released in April. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, yes, that is the, the actually it's a memoir. It's a story about um, my life growing up in an uh, alcoholic household. My dad was an alcoholic and a prescription uh, drug abuser and how that affected me and where God is in all of that. I'm excited. I think we're going to get into a little bit of that story today. So why don't you tell us a little bit, I mean, you've given us a hint, but tell us a little bit about your origin story, where you grew up, uh, where you are right now, and from A to B, Yep, or A to Z. A to Z. Yeah, I uh, grew up in a little town outside of Dallas called uh, Kaufman, Texas. I went, I mean, I grew up there, went to high school there, um, and then I graduated and I moved all around. Um, I had babies right off the bat after, after I graduated high school. And um, that was my life, pretty much. My, my, my two babies, uh, which are not babies anymore, they're grown adults, so 26 and 25. And uh, I'm married now uh, to my husband, Patrick. And we've been married since October 10th of 2010. And between us, we have two grown children. So that's kind of where I'm at now. It's always good to be married to a Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're married I, to a Patrick too. <laughs> I've got one of those. So what story would you like to share with Restory listeners today? Well, I, I want to tell everyone about um, growing up in a household with uh, a father who was an alcoholic and a prescription drug abuser, and how that affected me. Um, it was very stressful. My, my dad started drinking uh, around the age of 15 for me. I was, I was 15 years old, and, you know, I was a typical teenage girl with, you know, a smart mouth and rebellious attitude, and I thought I knew everything. And then my dad started drinking, and the... I place so much blame on me uh, as a as a, a teenager. I thought that it was my fault that he started drinking, um, and that seems to be typical for you know people like me um, that have grown up in a household like that. Um, I did not. I was not raised in church. Um, did not go to church until I was in my late twenties, and that's when when I was saved was in my late twenties, and as a result of that, it was a really tiny church, uh, in a, in a small town that I had lived in whenever I was married the first time and had my kids. And I, I did not know what to do with that. Um, you know, after I was saved, I couldn't really find a mentor. I didn't know how to find one really. And nobody 
volunteered to take me under their wing, so to speak. So I was kind of floundering around um, trying to navigate, you know, Christianity, not knowing really a whole lot about it. And I also had this uh, looming self-blame and um, lack of self-worth from growing up with a dad that drank all the time. And uh, that was hard. It was really hard to try to, you know, to navigate all that. So I was, I was like the, the, the parable that Jesus tells about the, the farmer, you know, sowing the seeds. I was the one that uh, fell on the rocks and, you know, I, I couldn't flourish because I, I didn't know how. And I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know how to have that relationship with God as a father because my own father had not really given me that example later in life. Uh, before he started drinking, he was a great father. Uh, he was always there and, um, you know, just just a great dad. And then as soon as the alcohol was introduced, that was that was much different. Yeah, can you let's unpack that a little bit. So you um grew up in a home without an alcoholic father and then one year he just decides like was there a catalyst to that or how did that happen and how strange that usually when I talk to people who have alcoholic families that that's all they've ever known. So this must have been very shocking. It was very shocking and I, I had known just a little bit about my dad um in his younger years. Um, he was a heavy drinker and then he stopped drinking and started going to AA and all of that whenever he was very young, probably in his twenties. And then something snapped, something triggered him and he started drinking again. So you're right. I mean, idea what that was. I have no idea what it was. Um, I have, well, I have some thoughts, but you know, those are just my thoughts on it. Um, you know, and whenever that that happened um, or whenever he started drinking again, you know, my mom would he would leave, assumably to go and buy, you know, more alcohol or, you know, whatever. And my mom would come and get me and say, hey, we need to go through the house and we need to find all of the bottles and we need to pour them out. And, you know, so I was doing all of that. So I think in my own mind, <laughs> I was selfish. You know, I was a selfish teenager and. I thought, well, why is she making me do this? You know, what did I do to, to, you know, to make, I mean, I must be being punished or something. So that wasn't, That's the, interesting. yeah, that wasn't the case. I mean, my mother never told me, you know, this is your fault. You know, she never said that, but in my mind, I, I you know, formulated that explanation. And so that carried with me and I didn't even realize it at the time it, it took, me being an adult and and going starting going to recovery meetings, um, Al-Anon specifically, and that was whenever that was kind of revealed to me. And I was like, it just kind of clicked one day, and I was like, oh, so that's the reason why I've been, you know, making all these bad choices, and you know, I don't feel loved and and all of that because I thought it was me. I thought it was my fault. So that was strange. <laughs> And I would imagine at 15, you didn't have the wherewithal to articulate that. And, and like you said, when you went to Al-Anon later, you're able to figure it out. So what kind of feelings did you have during that time? You said you were a rebe- typical rebellious teenager. Were you mad at your dad? What Were you be 
you know, befuddled by him? Uh, were you mad at your mom? How did, how did that work out, work itself out? Well, yes. <laughs> and all of those things. I mean, that and so many more emotions, you know, I was, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. You know, I didn't really want to have friends over a whole lot because I never knew what, uh, what the result was going to be, you know, how my dad was going to be. Um, I was mad at my mom. Uh, but then, you know, the next day I wouldn't be mad anymore, you know, and it was the same with my dad. It was just this roller coaster of emotions uh, and feelings that would a lot of times flood out in just more rebellion. Um, you know, that's how I, that's how I dealt with it uh, then and on into my adult years. You know, I rebelled uh, from God. Because after I was saved in my late 20s, it didn't take long for me to, you know, fall back away from him again. Um, Because, you know, again, I didn't have any kind of structure to go by, really. I didn't know what to do with Christianity. And so I thought, well, if I'm not hearing from God, then something must be wrong. He must not love me. Um, So why bother? Um, and it was that silence, uh, I think that because dad, whenever he would, you know, get upset with me or, you know, if he was drinking, his anger would be more intense and he would shut me out. He would be very silent and he would isolate himself. And, um, I know now that he didn't isolate because he didn't love me. He isolated because he he was embarrassed, you know, he was ashamed. But at the time I thought, okay, well, he doesn't love me anymore because he's quiet. And then later on that equated the same thing, or I equated the same thing with God. I wasn't hearing from God. And so I thought, well, that silence means he doesn't love me either. I'm far too broken or I'm not worthy of his love either. So I fell away quickly. I think that's a really astute observation. And I I think a lot of us too, who have had different kinds of fathers, um, we project that onto the Lord and because it's, it's what we know and it's what we've experienced and it's our own human experience. So how have you, when did you have like a holy aha about who God was and what how did that come about? Because you met Christ and then you backslid or kind of like, Lit away, and then you came. Must have come back because we're talking right. on the restart show here. <laughs> right. so I know there's a happy ending somewhere. There is. There is. Um, well, uh, my dad, as a result of his addictions, um, him and my mother separated, and my mom moved in with me. And wow. my dad, yeah, <laughs> she's still <laughs> with me, by the way. Um, wow. <laughs> but my dad, uh, he kind of floundered around too. I mean, he went from you know, one relative to another. Um, and eventually he became homeless and uh, he lived literally on the streets of Dallas under bridges, uh, various homeless shelters, uh, different things. And so for a long time, for about five years, uh, we didn't even know where he was or if he was alive. Um, and then this is how God works. One day out of the blue, <laughs> seemingly out of the blue, um, be heard, uh, through my aunt, my, my dad's sister, that he was in a hospital, uh, locally. And so very quickly, um, my mom 
myself, my sister, and my daughter, which was over 18 at the time, uh, all decided that we would go see him. Um, And we went and saw him, and he had fallen and broken his hip. And while he was in the hospital, they discovered that he had cancer. How old was he at this time? Oh, goodness. He was 62, I believe. I'd have to do the math, Um, but I think it was 62. And did he look different than what you remembered him? Oh, my goodness. I'm assuming he looked completely different. (laughs) Completely different. Uh, My dad was six feet four. Um, You know, he was a strong man. A lot of people uh, have has said over the years that he looked like Omar Sharif. So if any of your listeners or if you know who Omar Sharif looks like, I mean, he was just very, just very good looking and strong, very strong. He was a mechanic, a, a big, um, I don't know what you call it, the, the, like the earth movers and, you know, big construction, you know, type stuff. He worked on those kind of things. And so he was very strong. And then whenever we went and saw him, I mean, he was just frail and weak and pale and his hair completely changed. I mean, long hair and uh, just disheveled, just very disheveled. How did you feel? Were you afraid when you walked in? And then when you saw him, what did you feel? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I was very, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't fearful of him. I was just, I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea uh, what to expect. And of course, my my heart was racing and I was very nervous. And we walked in and I saw him. And it was like my heart just fell. You know how you're going on a roller coaster and you're going down really fast. I mean, it just it just fell, and I was I, I couldn't believe who I was seeing. It just it didn't look like the same person anymore. And it was a wonderful time um, that we had. And then um, he was scheduled the next morning to have uh, exploratory surgery uh, on the cancer. It was stomach cancer. And yes, and everything just went really quickly. I mean, what I'm explaining to you happened in a matter of like three days. Um, And so we stayed um, or came back the next day for for the surgery. And the doctors came out within like 30 minutes. And anyone who knows about any kind of surgery like that knows that it takes a little bit longer than that normally. And that was whenever we were told that it was inoperable. They wouldn't, weren't going to be able to do anything. Um, it was too far gone. And so then we were faced with the decision um, about hospice uh, because there wasn't anything else they could do. They gave him about a month uh, to live after that. And so we quickly, uh, decided that dad would come and move in with me uh, and and my husband and my mother because <laughs> my mother lived with us. So, Ooh, so anyway, that was, that was huge. And so then how did that go? Well, um, it was, that was also like a roller coaster, really. Um, there's so much that goes along with uh, someone who has cancer that, you know, is dying. Um, so many emotions, anger, um, fear, 
sadness, uh, but there was also um, some beauty in it because um, dad was able to live out um, the last three weeks of his life um, safe. And um, he was, he, he had food to eat, even though he couldn't hold it down that, that well. Um, and he was surrounded by love. And I believe that, that God did that um, for many different reasons. But um, one of them being that he didn't want my dad to be alone. Uh, he wanted him back uh, surrounded by his family. And I also think that uh, God needed to shake up my world a little bit <laughs> because um, the way that I was living, the way my husband was living uh, was not um, was not in his plan. And so he used this huge event um, to completely change the trajectory of my life, my husband's life, uh, our marriage, um, just everything. My, my husband is also uh, an alcoholic. Uh, he is in recovery. Um, but I do believe that if it were not for God intervening um, with this event, that my husband would not be in recovery today. And your book is titled Three Weeks to Forgiveness. So is that about the journey of being with your father for three weeks? Yes. Yes. The bulk of it, I mean, there's a little bit of backstory in there um, just to kind of, you know, explain who my dad was, who I was. Um, but the majority of it has to do with how God used that, those three weeks to uh, bring a family back together and be able to uh, forgive each other. And to let go of uh, that that past shame, guilt, regret, um, self blame, all of those things, uh, so that we could see how God moves uh, in our lives. Because I wasn't able to see that um, before, and. Whenever I, I wrote the memoir, I was able to take different events in my past and explain exactly where God was. Uh, because you know, a lot of times you can't see what God's doing when you're in the middle of the mess. But when you come on the other side of it, you're able to see exactly what he was doing. And of course, it's all for a greater purpose <laughs> that we don't always understand and uh, we can't always see, and we may not see until, uh, you know, we see him face to face again. But um, anyway, so that's what the book's about. It's about how God moves and he moves in a powerful way. Well, yeah. And I think the temptation too is, especially when it's our parents that have hurt us, the temptation is to just hold on to that bitterness and because we feel like we have a right to, like we, if we've been hurt, especially by someone who's supposed to be our protector, we feel like a little bit righteous about it, you know, like, well, they really were, he was an alcoholic. He did, he did act in unbecomingly. So talk a little bit about what made you finally just say, okay, I'm letting go of this. It was during the last week um, of dad's life uh, and 
there was an incident where dad had to go to the emergency room. Um, and so we went to the emergency room. My sister and I went with, went with dad and that was the first night that he really lashed out in anger, uh, because he knew he was dying. And that was the first time that he acknowledged that he was dying. And that burst of anger reminded me so much of uh, my teenage years, whenever, you know, he would get angry. And, um, and then I was able to see him through God's eyes. I was able to see him through a completely different lens after that, because um, whenever we went home the next day, because it was early in the morning whenever this happened. So uh, late, actually later in the morning, whenever we went home, um, he apologized to me. And that was the first time that he had ever, ever, ever apologized to me for anything. And that was, that was a very moving and beautiful moment, but it, it also opened my eyes up to see that he is just as broken as I am. And I was able to, you know, tell him we had a really beautiful conversation. It was not just about that. It was about other things too. And I mean, that was just a precious gift to me. And after that, I just, I, I just was able to let go of it. I just said, you know what, I, you know, he's, he knows that what he's done is, is not right. And um, he's trying to make his amends with me. So the least I can do is to do the same for him. And had he made his peace with God at that point? Not at that point. Um, he made his peace with God in the last three days. Oh, my goodness. Uh, tell me about that. <laughs> last three days. Oh. Um, you know, I'll tell you what, the the last, he, I'm telling you, there was, and that was what really opened my eyes to the power, the sheer power of God. Because the last three days, Dad had uh, stopped talking. He couldn't talk anymore. Uh, he couldn't see anymore. Um, and he was very restless. And if anyone has ever been uh, around someone who is um, dying, that's very typical. They, they struggle and pull and, you know, tug at covers and, you know, all of that. And he was doing that. And I, I stayed in the room in a chair uh, with him because we were afraid he was going to fall out of the bed or, you know, different things. So, I saw this, this struggle and Mary, I tell you what, whenever I walked in the room after, you know, leaving to, you know, take a break or, you know, whatever, I could feel a spiritual presence in that room. And I can't remember if it was the day before he passed away or the day he passed away, he passed away at night. So I, I can't remember for sure, but one of those days he was doing that struggle. I mean, it was just, you know, struggling. He was, he would reach toward the ceiling and then he would pull back. And there was something within me 
that, and I know, well, it was God, <laughs> but um, that said, okay, you need to go get a Bible. And so I went and I got a Bible um, and I opened it up and I immediately went to um, Psalms. Oh gosh, 40, is it 43? The 23, 23. Thank you. The Lord, yes. Lord is my shepherd. Yes, that one. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I immediately yeah. went to that one and I just read the whole thing and I just kept reading it over and over again. And whenever I was reading it, I was knelt down beside his bed and I had the Bible opened up on a stool. And that was the only time that he would, he would calm down was whenever I was reading that. And later on, after, after I, you know, we did that, um, dad started struggling again and he reached up, um, and he was, it looked like he was reaching for somebody. And I said, dad, it's okay. You know, you, you can go, it's okay. And he said, I can't. And that was the first time he had spoken in three days. And I said, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, why can't you? You know, and he said he's fighting me. And so I knew at that point, I and mean, I just knew. And you know how you get that gut feeling that that no, that was a spiritual battle going on right then. And you know, Satan was fighting for his soul, and God wasn't letting him. He was putting up a fight right back. And later on, um. He, he said uh, that he, he wanted to go home. And I knew, because he looked straight at me, and that was the first time he had really focused on anybody. I knew in that moment that, that he had made his peace as well. He couldn't necessarily articulate it in the same way, but I could just see it. I could see a peace come over him in his eyes. Ooh, that's wow. That's amazing. <laughs> it, was, it was powerful. It was powerful, powerful three days. Well, it was powerful three weeks, but. And then as a result of that, it sounds like you kind of uh, were snapped back into I'm going to really follow Jesus. Your husband made a decision to look at his own life and just give us a little snapshot of some of the repercussions of that. Yeah. It wasn't actually until after dad died that uh, I went into this, this horrible grief. And um, I started to, I, and I think, well, I know it was God like peeling back the layers off of, you know, my eyes that had been blinded for so long. Um, and I began to see, you know, my, my husband is an alcoholic too, and he's doing the same thing that my dad did. And, uh, long story short, uh, I actually told my husband to leave until he could, you know, stop drinking altogether. And so he left and it was in those few days. It wasn't very long. It was like four days, <laughs> but, um, there, it was during those four days that I was able to get all the distractions out of the way and just be with God, just be able to sit and open a Bible and, and, and read it, which I hadn't done in over 15 years. Um, 
And it was in that silence, the silence that I was so afraid of before, it was in that silence that I was able to feel God wrapping his arms around me and just loving me, just loving me for who I am. And that was whenever I I rededicated my life to Christ. And amazingly enough, in the same days that Patrick was away from me, he did the same thing. And we didn't even talk um, through those those few days. Uh, And God was able to, um, you know, tell me, hey, look, that's your husband. He needs to come home. Um, And he did. And he came home. And we've both been in recovery ever since. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Wow, that's an amazing story. So what um, what advice would you give to someone who's gone through something similar? Well, Mary, you know, I would say that they're not alone. Um, there are so many who feel or have felt so broken uh, that they couldn't be loved by God. And that's where I was. Um, but God loves us exactly where we are. Uh, it's important to find a community of others who have struggles with their past, uh, whether it's a recovery program like I've been to, such as Al-Anon or there's a Christ-centered recovery program, Celebrate Recovery, and there's uh, Regeneration, which is a kind of new one, so it may not be in all areas right now. Um, Or find a a group of people in their home church who get you, who, who really can go in the trenches with you uh, you know, the Lord tells us in Matthew eighteen twenty, for where two or three gather in my name, there there am I with them. So he can do powerful things if we'll just get out of the way. <laughs> so true. So true. <laughs> so as you look back over your past year, how has God restored you or given you a new story? Oh goodness. Well, in the past year, um, I have been able to get this book um into uh, making it a reality, really. Um, I know that this book is going to help thousands of people uh, who, you know, have felt lost, broken, confused, um, and be able to turn their eyes toward God uh, for His glory. Uh, You know, He's restored my relationship with Him as my Father, He's restored my relationship with, you know, my dad. He's restored a broken marriage. Um, you know, overcoming your past with God in the, at the center is possible for everyone. We just have to, you know, follow his lead. Well, and uh, uh, this probably seems like an aside, but we live in a really noisy world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and being quiet, being quiet before him is actually pretty rare. And I would just encourage the listeners today to to follow Kimberly's example and spend a couple hours in silence. Just let God speak to you. We, we cram our lives full of so much noise and God does just want to minister to us and love us. And we can't do it if we're listening to a whole bunch of stuff all the time. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So uh, mind if I pray for you? Absolutely. All right. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much for Kimberly and her story. And what an amazing thing that you you took her father off the streets, stuck him in a hospital, helped them become aware of it. 
and then used those three remaining weeks of his life to change her life, her husband's life, her marriage, and uh, just the fact that you love all of them so much, that you're the father of all of them. And I'm so um, humbled and grateful. I pray for the person today listening who also has had some father issues, or maybe they grew up in an alcoholic home and they just don't, they're hard, having a hard time seeing the good of you in the midst of that. And I pray for the space, even this week, like those couple quiet hours, to hear from you that you would speak love over them and speak your life over them and that you are the God who has his arms open wide. You are the one who leaves the 99 and seeks the one. And, and so I pray for my listeners today who are in those experiences that they would hear your voice and know your love. So thank you so much for listening to the Restory Show. Um, you can find out more at RestoryShow.com for the latest episode information. Uh, also uh, have another pr- uh, podcast called Pray Every Day. You can hear me pray for you every day while you experience the Bible verse by verse. We've been going through Philippians, then Psalm 119, and uh, the next one I'm really praying about. So if you have any feedback on that, I'd appreciate it. Um, the result will be the healing, the healed life that you've been longing for, and you can visit PrayEveryDay.show. Um, my prayer for you is that you would live a brand new story this week.